At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at american.edu slash gradschool. Today we are delighted to announce that this podcast will be supported for the rest of the Premier League season by The Athletic. The Athletic is home to the best coverage of your club, written by a world-class team of writers. Get reading now by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO and get 50% off if you sign up before the end of August. The Athletic, the new home of football writing. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. My name is Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Seb stafford Blow. Hello, Seb. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. We're going to talk about VAR today, aren't we? We are. Uh, but later on, towards the end of the podcast, we also had a chat with Ed Malion, who is the new head guy, I guess, at The Athletic. It was a very uh, enlightening chat. And as you will have heard at the beginning of this episode, The Athletic is uh, supporting this podcast for the rest of the season, which we are delighted about. Hopefully we're going to hear from more of their writers throughout the course of the season too. And uh, as I said, the last sort of 15, 20 minutes of this podcast today is a chat with Ed um, about what The Athletic is, what they're offering. It, it's a bit geeky for us as well. Because I think it's, it's very um, interesting. Like it, it was kind of because it's been, it's been the source of the subject of so much conjecture for so long that to actually almost put a, put a face to it um, and give it a shape was, was really interesting because it mm. kind of... I suppose I first heard about it maybe two months ago, maybe yeah. a little bit longer. And so in the in the between time, it's been, um, you know, you've heard of all the all the people that are, are going to be working there, um, and we're not quite sure. We haven't been quite sure in in sort of what capacity and with what kind of briefs. But now we we do. Um, I think it's released on the Tuesday, so it uh, went live yesterday. Uh, but it's very interesting and nice to meet Ed and um, and and the team of people behind him. And mm. uh, yeah. Um, but I think what I took away from it was that um, there's a real intent to uh, not just do the same thing. I mean, a lot of the people um, moving over to the athletic will be familiar, but they are obviously going to be tasked with a you know a different kind of project, and um, you know with 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 uh, sort of again a bit of a horrible buzz phrase, but maximizing their abilities, uh, and that's very interesting given the given the the level of talent involved. That should be very interesting. Well, anyway, uh, we'll be talking about that with Ed later on, so stick around towards the end of the podcast to listen to that. Today's episode in Maine, though, is about VAR, and it seems like an odd time to be talking about VAR. Why are you talking about it now, Joe? Well, I will explain to you, because Seb, you went to Stockley Park? I sure did, And on the way there, you asked yourself a lot of questions in the third person, i.e., why am I going here? And you answered... I answered because... I'm interested to see what the Premier League's take on VAR is. So what was the event that you attended? So it was a... Uh, it was a special event. It was... Not, nor- normal people weren't invited, just special people. Well, actually, event. a lot of people were invited. So what oh, the Premier League are doing down. is they are um, spending the time between now and the start of the, the domestic season um, educating members of the media, uh, fans, fan groups. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that they are, they've been holding consultations with, um, with clubs, players, mm. managers, mm. coaches, that kind of thing. But they wanted to kind of, um, they wanted to introduce, uh, vision is, is the wrong word, but their variation on it. Because obviously Premier League is adopting VAR at a time um, when a lot of very negative precedents exist. 
um, a lot of sort of, um, I think the, the way VR has been used up until now has created the suspicion of it that it's coming to interfere fully with the, um, uh, with the flow of the game and yeah. to, to disrupt everything and to create some of the, you know, more of the scenes that we saw at, for example, the Women's World Cup and the Copper America, where it, it really wasn't used particularly well. Um, it became very uh, pedantic. And I think most people would agree that it actually ruined several of the games. I mean, mm. if, if, if I you, agree. Well, if you get to the end of a tournament and one of your big talking points is the use of VAR, that's not good. I think it's like, a, you know, the old, old maxim about what makes a good referee, the referee that you don't notice. I think you could probably apply the same thing to VAR. Um, it's impossible not to notice VAR. It is, uh, especially so uh, in the way that it was used. Um, so, okay, so today, what I want to get from you yeah. is firstly, what what is different about how VAR is being implemented into the Premier League? Also, where personally you think the pitfall, not necessarily of that new system, but the pitfalls of it are generally, and we can talk about some more specific instances if we want later on. Um, I suppose the first question, as we said, is we've seen how it has been applied at various international tournaments. We've seen how it's been applied elsewhere. Tell us how it will be applied in the Premier League and specifically where the, where the differences are. Right. And it's as of this, the season just beginning on August 2019. Correct. Um, okay, I think um, a good starting point is to discuss what the Premier League's philosophy is with it, which is uh, maximum benefit, minimum interference. So previously referees have been seen to, um, to take large chunks of time viewing decisions which should be fairly simple. So a clear case of, I don't know, a trip in the box or... Um, an elbow to the face, decisions which you would see and um, think, right, well, that's a red card, that's a penalty slash no penalty, make the decision and move on. Additionally, there's also been this creeping sense that um, VAR is being used to re-referee matches. So one of the focuses in, um, in the Women's World Cup in France was goalkeepers remaining on their line for penalties. And this became an almost, it was, it was, ridiculous the the over focus on it and the, the kind of again the time lost on on trying to determine tiny little details and little it, it became too much it was allowed to seep into too many areas of the game we should we could also say specific to those sorts of incidents that we know that the goalkeeper already has a massive uphill battle and most of the time it's luck when they make that save luck mixed with a bit of knowledge as if you're going to dive left yeah. These are the areas that you try to cover, right? Yeah. Most of the time you would say if a goalkeeper saves a penalty, it probably is a bit of luck and a bit of skill. It's an uphill battle already. Why make it more difficult? I know that's what the rules say, but why waste the time and effort, and particularly the time of the fans and the players during the game, to, to enforce those sorts of little well, rules? I agree. That's not the reason why it's been done. I think that sort of there are certain rules which unofficially you kind of give and take and you, know, you can let some of them go. You need flexibility. Well, and more importantly, you need flow. What you don't need is you don't need every, you know, a lot of different areas of the game where the match pauses and someone checks a detail which, for all intents and purposes, is actually incidental. I agree, goalkeepers should not be allowed to stray yards off their line. What I don't believe is if someone has strayed a millimetre off their line that we should be spending five minutes trying to determine whether they have or they haven't. The, basically, the way the Premier League present this is as a sort of an overarching vision, which is that... They don't want the human element of the game lost. Now, there's a couple of key areas where they're trying to achieve this. The first, um, and probably the most significant, is that the um, there is uh, people will will will, uh, will become familiar with the referee review area (RRA), which okay. is the position on the uh, sideline where they they have the little monitor. So we'll, we, you've you've seen that plenty of times. Anybody who's watched football recently, 
you know, a... Um, the little podium. The little podium. So the, the, the procedure has been up till now. Referee is alerted to a potential check or, or, or speaks with the, 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 the VAR, is then told, right, you have something to check on your screen. Referee goes over to the side of the pitch, gazes at the screen for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, comes back on, makes a decision. Now, the Premier League's version of this will be that if an incident occurs within a referee's, and bear with me on this, a, a referee's realm of, of, I think it's, oh, what was the phrase they used? Um, it means basically if an incident is expected by the referee, if the referee is being advised on something he thinks he saw, but is not quite sure of the detail of, then he can, he can take the, the, the VAR's advice without looking at the screen. So, for instance, a tackle happens and the VAR tells the referee, this is much more serious than you thought it was or as appeared you know, in, in real time. And that also counts if the referee has seen what he thinks is a challenge and given a yellow card in maybe what would be a clear red card incident. That's correct. The referee retains the ability to check something on the screen, but he is now able to just take the VAR's advice. Where that does not um, apply is if something occurs off the ball. So say, for instance, a corner comes into the box. It's cleared 40, 50 yards up towards the, the halfway line. Uh, the referee uh, and both of his assistants turn their attention to the play. Meanwhile, someone in the box throws an elbow. And, you know, it's a, a violent conduct style offence. The VAR would alert the referee to say this has happened. Because he has had no vantage on the incident, he goes to then check it on the screen and then makes his recommendation that way, or makes his decision that way. In reality, it's probably going to... That, that sounds a little bit more dramatic than it really is, but it is actually a time-saving, continuity-preserving uh, initiative, uh, which I quite like. I don't want but to... Presumably, it's, it's, it's just to keep the referee the authority as much as possible. Well, the referee remains the authority. The referee, the referee has to have seen every incident, which is why if he hasn't seen it, and the VAR alerts him to it, or his assistant. Referee or assistant. So if assistants see an off-the-ball incident that the referee didn't see, does the referee still have to go over to the VAR post? He retains the ability to go whatever the case, but right. he would presumably consult with his assistant. So if the VAR... As, as they would do now. As they would do now. So if the, um, the VAR is advising of something and, and, and an assistant says, right, well, uh, we've seen this, then... Yes, he can take the VAR's uh, version in his earpiece and award a red card or a free kick or uh, not a free kick or a, a penalty or something like uh. that. Very rarely would that affect a penalty decision, though, because you'd expect any time the ball was in the box, you know, at least two pairs of eyes would be on it at yeah. the same time. So the VAR would be able to assist. And the, the, the referee remains the ultimate authority on the field. It just seems like a strange system to, to have. I mean, I, I, I understand why they do that, but it's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? It's a bit like having... You know what? It's like it's, it's like having the, 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 the total authority elsewhere via the video technology with the team of people in the magic caravan outside the stadium who are observing all well, of we'll this. We'll talk about that because we actually got to use it during our day at Stockholm. Cool. Park, so we'll, we can talk we'll about come back to that. The dynamic of it, yeah. Who, who theoretically could execute every single decision more accurately than a referee on the pitch could do. Mm -hmm. But then saying, don't worry though, because the referee's still in charge, even though he's the fallible one in this instance, he or she is the fallible one in this instance, and we have the ability to do it. Why not just get rid of the referee? Human element. It's exactly the same. Is that the, in line with the principle, the, the Premier League do not want to interfere with the human element of the sport. But they are. They are, but in a, in a sort of, if we accept. In a quite confusing way. I mean, I don't, don't want to denigrate your ability to communicate this. It is confusing. But it's not straightforward. It's going to get more confusing as we go on through here. And also I find that what, what is going to be more 
was more likely, you know, presumably the reason they don't want to interfere with the human element of the sport is so that they don't upset, they don't upset the sport and its fans, right? But more fans are going to be irritated by I think... retrospectively looking at things that, that they consider to be a red card, but because of the, the, almost you could call it the bureaucracy between the VAR and the referee and the way the Premier League has decided to delineate it, May or may not actually be the correct decision. Well, I, I don't. I don't think that dynamic specifically will interfere with the adjudication of decisions. I don't think it will. It will affect whether something is given as a red card or, or not. The Premier League are also setting what they refer to as a high bar for clear and obvious. So the the, the idea is not to again re-referee the sport in every incident. It is to find egregious mistakes and to eliminate them. It is not to spend five minutes at a time slowing something down to sort of microsecond, you know, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Stoppage time, yeah. No, 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 no. They're, they're just, they're not trying to, they're not trying to find mistakes. Oh, and, the human eye couldn't for the sake of it. No, no, they, 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 they don't want to do that. What they want is a, a, a means of assisting, um, the, assisting referee. the referee without the, the presence of VAR essentially becoming overbearing within the context of the game itself. It's just, it, it's hard to accept where the line is in I that understand, case. I understand. Because well, if the technology is there to do more with it... Yeah, but there, there, there's a line. Where is, the, where, I, where, where is the line? Well, I have sympathy for people who try and determine where that line is because either you strive for 100% accuracy and make the game into a very fractured, unpalatable. broken, unpalatable spectacle, yeah. non-spectacle, or you accept that there are vagaries within the sport. Refereeing decisions have always been subjective and actually they remain subjective because there are decisions, there are incidents within a football game that to one VAR will look different than they do to another or to a different referee. And, you know, someone's perception of what a clear and obvious mistake varies too. So you're not creating what is, what would be a, a sort of a sterile spectacle by VAR. You're not stopping the game to make sure each time that you've got 100% the right decision. That's not the aim at all. Because it isn't exciting like it is in tennis. No. It just isn't. I thought it, it just might be, be when we were talking about it, you know, years ago, but it's not. At Wimbledon, when we're waiting for the ball to be in or out, that's kind of fun. Well, also... It's not with football. The, the other sort of um, false equivalency which is drawn is with rugby union. And people say, well, why don't we have a rugby type situation? I was like, well, that's actually, that's precisely what football needs to avoid. Rugby union has become unwatchable as a result of referees stopping a game endlessly to watch replays of something on a big screen, yeah. standing in the middle of pitch while everybody who's paid to, to, to be in the stadium sits around. No, it, it's, but, but it's also, awful. Rugby, it's rugby union, which as a sport, stops naturally frequently anyway, well, it, right? It, 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 every time possession is, is it, nearly every time possession is switched, the, the, the game stops. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, Joe. I mean, the ball goes out of play and there are stoppages for injuries. But uh, it, it's not really true that the game has natural break points. There are pauses yeah like every time there's pauses, a scrum every time the ball goes out every time the point i'm making is that is that supporters are used to there being less of a a different type of flow a staggered flow i, I agree but then sort of var in rugby the the tmo as it's referred creates an entirely different kind of pause yeah it's a non-action there's not a there's a difference between the ball being in play and the game being essentially dead for a period of time there's a very big difference between that and it, it has a, a very real effect on the supported dynamic in the ground. And that football must avoid that at all costs. Well, t- t- okay, so you said that the Premier League are hoping to set a high bar as it relates to what is... Yeah, uh, a clear and obvious mistake. Clear and obvious. So, th- so this is, these are in incidences 
where VAR is checking something that either the referee has already seen or or, or, or has missed, right? Yeah, it's a... So let's let's say in this example, it's it's a tackle. Let's say it's a tackle and let's say, let's say a referee has seen a tackle and awarded a yellow card. In fact, we can use a specific example. Most people watching will remember Vincent Company's tackle on Mohamed Salah at mm-hmm. uh, the Etihad last season. Um, Which I've just watched so I can describe it to people. Right. Uh, Vincent Company is one-footed, one is t- tucked behind, but the studs are up, his, fo- his, his tackling foot is off the floor. Salah manages to avoid it almost completely, mm-hmm. and he's yellow-carded, right? He's yellow-carded. So the referee, uh, I forget who the specific referee was uh, in that game, but um, the referee it, it, um, judges the tackle to have been reckless rather than dangerous. Now, if you slow that down, I think most referees would say that was actually a red card tackle. Vincent Comedy should have been sent off. However, what I believe and what we've been advised about VAR in the Premier League is the gap between the decision made on field and the decision made post-review does not, even though it would involve probably the upgrading of the yellow card to a red card, does not constitute a clear and obvious mistake from the referee. Okay, you have to explain that again, though, because even I don't understand what you're saying. Okay, so... <laughs> the difference between the referee's observation yeah. of whether or not it was a yellow or a red yeah. is not significant enough. No. no. Okay, go again. It doesn't constitute a clear and, and obvious mistake. His yellow card. Because he's given a yellow card and he's adjudged the, 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 the tackle to have been reckless, mm-hmm. not dangerous. Mm-hmm. The tackle is not so poor on second viewing that the decision not to give him a red card at that time would constitute or would represent a clear and obvious mistake on behalf of the referee. Therefore... But if he had given him a red card, yeah. it's not necessarily the sort of thing that would have been seen by VAR and then over... I know they can't overturn anyway, but they wouldn't have thought to overturn no, it. No, they can overturn it. Oh, they can overturn a red card? No, no, they, they cannot overturn it unilaterally. They right. can advise the referee to then go and look at it again if necessary. So if he'd given a red card, yeah. the VAR team may not have overturned that. No, if he'd given a red card, the VAR certainly wouldn't have overturned it. But if he'd given a yellow card, they also wouldn't have overturned yeah, that. because it's not an obvious mistake. So it's a weird grey area in the middle. It's a very grey area, but again... So there's a lot of debate there. And people people are going to get angry about this. Yeah. Because there are going to be instances like that. And also, it's, let's say that happens again this season. They are two big teams. That is a very, very important game in the context of a Premier League season. Yeah. Most likely it will be again this year. However, we'll go back to what we said at the beginning. The aim is not to referee by computer. It is a, we are correcting mistakes. We are not perfecting the refereeing. Okay, right. So theoretically, yeah. this incident that we are using as an example, yeah. in this new set of rules... Not it, a new set of rules. They're not new. Well, no, but it, it, it's VAR guidelines. They're not laws of the game. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So I, know, I know that's pedantry, but it's important. It's an important distinction. In, in the recently written VAR guidelines for the Premier League. In the way that the Premier League is encouraging its officials to use VAR, yes. That challenge that company made yeah. would be officially both a yellow and a red card foul. Because uh, both could be true in a different context. But that, that's... How does that make sense? Well, it, it doesn't make any less sense than it used to under, under the old refereeing system because one referee sees that as a red card, one doesn't. It's very interpretive. The refereeing of football has always been subjective. Um, this is a system not to, to eliminate... The, the intention is not to take away the subjective element. It is a way of removing terrible mistakes. I know, I know it was the same before. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's now... It's different. 
You have the technology and you're not using it precisely. Well, this is the thing, but now now you have the technology to to be more clear cut about that and you're deliberately obfuscating it by saying that a challenge is both a yellow and a red card challenge. You see, I don't don't see it as an obfuscation. I see it as a a determination not to interfere unless it's absolutely necessary. It makes sense. I mean, it's going to anger people, but then the game has always angered people. It's just going to anger people in a slightly different way now. Mm. Um, I understand the issue, but in, in, a, in a sense, um, and I, I'm not, I, I wrote a piece about this for Football 365. I hope it doesn't come across as a puff piece. And I hope what I'm saying now doesn't come across as a kind of a... Um, a puff speech. A puff speech. It's just what's clear is the Premier League is in a difficult, difficult position with this because you have an either or scenario of either you disrupt the game for everything or you have these, what will be seen as inconsistencies. Or you don't do it. Or you don't do it, but then, I mean, you have to stay in line really with the, with the other leagues. It's just, it's also, it's advantageous now for the Premier League to adopt it. It's used in the Champions League, it's used in the Europa League, it's going to be used in the World Cup and European Championship. It's going to complicate things for the players if, they, if they're... Players have to get used to working under it. You know, yeah. and, and so if you're, you can't really be an outlier, I don't think, so I've got some sympathy. They've held off for longer than anybody else. Okay. Um, that's, so that, but that's the that's a good example then of what their their high bar for uh, something being clear and obvious. I, I, is. I tell you, what, let's let's have an example of the reverse. Let's have an example of a, of a decision which would be overturned. Because this this it is actually it's quite hard to get to grips with. Isn't it's it? very I mean, hard. We're, we're doing our best to explain it to people listening, yeah, but we, it is difficult to explain. We're probably doing an inadequate job with it, but the reality is is that we're talking um, about it as a concept. Once the game, once the Premier League starts again and it starts being used, people will get used to the idea of what clear and obvious means. Yeah. My hope is that if there is that the, the, the consistency will come in the example set with its usage. So let's 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 look at the other side of the coin. Let's look at an incident that would be overturned. Um, I can't remember the date, but it was uh, Southampton beating Tottenham. I think it was about spring. I was actually at this game. Um, and there was an incident in the first half, I think, or maybe the second one. When, when uh, it was one of the two, isn't it? First or second half. Yeah. Um, where Musa Sissoko headbutted Nathan Redmond. Yeah. There was a Sissoko came in um, to try and win the ball. Uh, a bit of a rough, clumsy tackle kind of went through Nathan Redmond, knocked him to the ground. Redmond gets up, pushes Sissoko. Sissoko pushes him back. From the TV footage, you can see the referee approaching um, with a yellow card already out, ready to give it to Sissoko. Because of the challenge. Because of seen. the challenge, because of the, the sequence of events that are happened up until that point. Pre the afters. Pre afters. Then uh, Sissoko makes a very obvious motion to headbutt Nathan Redmond. Um, but the referee still gives a yellow card. Now, unofficially, um, VAR was actually being tested at St. Mary's that day. Um, it was offline. It was just a test. It wasn't an influence on the referee. It was not in communication with the referee. But as a part of the, that test, VAR ruled that um, that should have been upgraded to a red card for Musa Sissoko. Now, the clear and obvious aspect of this is that um, the VAR, um, because I, I think the referee is Craig Porson. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But because he already has the yellow card out prior to the instance, prior to the incident happening, um, the conclusion is that he has missed the gravity of the incident. He may have seen some coming together, but not what would obviously constitute violent conduct. But that's based on the fact that he's got the card in his hand. No, it's based on a range of factors, including that. Right. Um, 
that he has made a decision and that he has made no decision to upgrade his, no motion to upgrade his decision on, on account of what had gone on. So the referee would be uh, advising an earpiece or probably in that instance uh, invited to go over to the uh, RRA um, and would then see the headbutt and most likely the psycho would have been sent off. It is a clear and obvious mistake because there is not a referee in the country who having seen a player headbutt someone would not send them off. So there is no real ambiguity there. It's not the sense of there is no grade of headbutt in the Premier League. You motion towards another player with your head, it's going to be a red card. Certainly, certainly, that's certainly true if you make contact. Um, so there lies the difference, and it's, I, I accept it's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. Uh, but the interpretation of a tackle is, is more of a subjective area. So in one instance, the VAR is ruling on what is more obviously a black and white issue. In another, it is declining the opportunity to correct what remains not an obvious mistake. Okay. This is an advert. The Tifo Football Podcast is supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online. Whether it's dedicated local reporting about your team or rich storytelling from around the world, you'll find it all in one place. For example, on launch day, one of my favourite pieces was by Michael Cox and Sam Lee. The pair explained why, although they had an inferior goals conceded tally, Manchester City were actually better at defending last season than Liverpool. And this is because Manchester City's XGA was better than Liverpool's. So to quote the piece, Liverpool conceded fewer goals because their goalkeeping performance was superior or because the opposition's shooting was wayward. But in terms of not conceding chances, City were better. So for more insight like this from some of the best in the business, get reading now by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO and get 50% off if you sign up here before the end of August. The Athletic, the new home of football writing. Right, well, we've got a couple of questions. We asked um, listeners for questions if they had any about VAR, and we have a few in here as well. Uh, so I'm going to read them and ask you them now, if you don't mind, Seb. Okay. The first one comes from our old friend, Emmanuel Adibayor. Now, I assume that is not the real Emmanuel Adibayor, but if it is... Hello. Love just spell it Spurs. Yeah. You know, uh, what happens if a penalty offence is not immediately given and the other team goes down the other end to score? Good question, Emmanuel Adibayor. Seb? On the basis that it should be a penalty, the goal is disallowed and the penalty is given. That's harsh, isn't it? It is. Crikey. Okay. Uh, this question is from Kartik Garamella. Tell us about how the third of the 3D function will be used that you showed on your Twitter. Can you explain what that is to anyone who, well, most people who didn't see that? Because right, okay. it was so, on your Twitter, um, no, one, no one saw it. Okay, uh, maybe I will, uh, I will send you a, a link to that before we put the podcast out. But um, people will have seen this by now. Uh, when offside decisions are made, instead of the straight line used to adjudicate it, now they sort of plot a, a 3D line, which is... Um, designed to create a more accurate reflection of where players are. In reality, the straight line would be fine if players all stood at exactly the same angle, exactly the same body position. In reality, and a good example of this was um, the penalty awarded to Harry Kane at Wembley during the first leg of the League Cup semi-final last season, Uh um, where um, because VAR was only using that single line along the floor, uh, technology, it couldn't adjudicate or it really just had to guess where the rest of his body was. So a player is in an offside position if any part of his body with which he could score a goal is beyond the last defender. So this is, this is really a mechanism used to provide greater accuracy. 
the Premier League uh, does not view offside decisions as clear and obvious mistakes. It is a factual situation. A player is either onside or offside, and I can see you shaking your head. I just think it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I wish I could remember the specific example. And it was in, it was in the, uh, the World Cup over the summer. In fact, you know what? It was uh, it was um, Ellen Wright's goal for England that was disallowed. Ellen, yeah, yeah. Ellen White's goal against for England. the United States. Against the United States, the one that was disallowed, and she was between the two United States centre backs. Yeah. She's facing forwards. She's leaning forwards. Her momentum is taking her forwards. The two centre backs are facing away from their goal. Right. By the time she and she's a millimeter offside. By the time she gets to the ball and takes her shot, they're still two meters behind her. There's no possible way they could have caught up if she wasn't. If she, the point I'm making is that if she was a touch back and officially onside, as it would be considered factually to be the case, if it was a factual situation, okay. there would have been no difference in the outcome, right? And it is clear to anyone watching that. I'm a bit upset about it. It's, I can hear the tone of your voice. Yeah, it's going, changed it. You know, we've I, gone I, from jokey, you know, <laughs> this is a bit shit to I feel quite passionate about this. And I, this is this is the hill I'm going to die on. Yeah, right. Okay. It's All clear right. to anyone watching that, particularly the people in the magic van yeah. outside, and you're going to tell me more about that later. Yeah. Who 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 are watching that the outcome would not have been different, right? right. It's nowhere near enough for the argument to 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 be that the other players knew she was offside. And therefore, they weren't acting, or that the goal kick goalkeeper didn't didn't come out because he he or she knew it was going to be called offside. Yeah, it, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Like it, the point is, the new technology reveals that to be a stupid rule. The current the current way that the rule works, and let's remember the reason that the rule existed in the first place was to stop people goal hanging years ago and being twenty feet offside. That's what the offside rule was for. What difference does it possibly make? Okay, well, you know what my response to that is going to be. Not your going to issue, no, no, it's not that. Your issue is with the laws of the game. It is. Than, yeah, but this is a, this is a separate but, podcast. But it's not. It's where not. Joe attacks bad laws. That no, 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 no. It, it isn't because okay. the, the law of the game. I understand the position of that law yeah. without VAR. Okay, but with VAR, it's integral to the conversation. It changes everything. Well, not really, because that is the the, the, the premise under which assistant referees slash linesmen have been working since the law changed. Which was when? Not that long ago. No, no, no. But I mean, the law has gone through different variations about yeah, who is interfering. Eh, not all the time. It has subtle tweaks to it. If it's clear and obvious, right, the, line, the linesmen the call it offside. The men- mentality how, of the law. How hard would it be to change it? That's not a question for VR, Joe. I think it is. It's not, because VR is there to... It is the difference between a Supreme Court justice and an actual legislator. Legislator makes the laws. This is, this is just what they've decided. rules on the laws. This is just what they've decided that it's if that, That's your little branch of football government. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you remember I, the GCSE politics with this? <laughs> yeah, I think, look, we, didn't, we did not do GCSE politics. Oh, come on now. Right. I, 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 personally, <laughs> I think that because of the implementation of VAR and because of the access that we yeah. have to the technology, it fundamentally changes the question about the rule. I don't disagree. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I think... Um, another and I'm furious. Well, you know, a, a more famous example, other than the Ellen White one, which some people may not have seen, um, the uh, Champions League quarterfinal when Sergio Aguero was ruled offside uh, before Raheem Sterling scored what would have been a winning goal mm-hmm. in that tie. Um, VR was correct to intervene because he was offside. But whether you deem that to be in, the, after a few years of VAR refereeing the game in this way and creating the kind of situation which you're rallying against. Maybe they do change it. Maybe there has maybe to be daylight between the players. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe you have to 
I don't know. If but, the, it, but if the point the point I'm making is that if the if there are officials who are already interpreting subjectively, yeah. not necessarily. Well, I guess intention is part of it in 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 some cases. But if they're already interpreting interpreting things subjectively, yeah. then why couldn't they add that to the list? Yeah, because uh, it's a stupid rule, and it, and it just gets in the way of what good football should be. That I, was I, a goal. I, I, I agree. I think there I mean, are other goal. other laws uh, that fall into the same category. <laughs> Let's change them all. I think change all. The I rules. think that would make a, an excellent separate podcast. Do you know what makes a good video? We're going to make a video on this. One. What, what what would football be like if there was one less player on each team? That would be interesting. We've also done one. We're also going to do one on what would football be like if there was no football for a year. Exactly. That should be quite compelling. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. I got all upset then. It's okay. I love your passion. Alex Huddleston or Huddleston asks, will the Premier League only be correcting clear and obvious errors? It seems lots of VAR is keen to correct even the tightest errors. That's kind of what the conversation we just had. No. Sorry, the, the, sorry the, the Premier League... Premier League will correct clear and obvious errors. What their definition of clear and obvious means, um, you won't get just by listening to me or anybody. You'll have to see it in action. They yeah. will create examples of what it is. And it's and not... after a year or two, we'll have a better idea. We'll have a better idea and people will have a better understanding. That does not mean that, um, that, that people aren't going to get upset about it. I'm, get upset. I'm already upset. He's already upset. Nothing's season hasn't even started. Like, season doesn't even start until, mm. you know, 13 days away. Simon Ludden, Simon Ludin. Yeah. Why does the ref not go to the TV himself and watch it every single time? Why does it, I think you've already probably answered this question. He, he retains the ability to do that. The Premier League are discouraging referees from doing that because of BGML as well. Um, because of the flow. Because of the flow, because of the time it takes, because we see so many disruptions to games with referees who... Actually, I saw one yesterday. There was a very, very late penalty um, in uh, Hamburg's game against Darmstadt, I think. Stoppage time. Now, uh, how the referee missed it, I don't know, but um, uh, there was a, a sort of a collision in the penalty box and it was very, very obviously a penalty. Anyone could look that up. The referee still managed to take a good two minutes looking at the screens. He must have watched probably 15 replays. Premier League do not want a situation where that happens. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, like, it's one problem for the, um, for the television audience mm -hmm. who also have the benefit of the replays. But for people in the stadium who don't, that is a difficult synapse to bridge you know you it's a period of it's an empty period of the game where you're not watching anything other than a man watching a television screen which you yourself cannot see and they cannot show replays in the stadium sure right okay joe farrell four mm -hmm. ask and this again uh, we may have already touched on this but joe farrell four asks could there be an implementation of a margin of error when it comes to close offsides uh <sighs> I wouldn't have thought so. What will happen with offside? So one thing we do need to clear up is um, in other tournaments, what we've seen is uh, linesmen, assistant referees, always, always keeping their flags down. Because if you put the flag up, it can't go to VAR. Mm. Um, That's the most annoying thing. If the referee sees a flag and blows the play dead. What, what the, the Premier League have got, have got two initiatives here. First of all, they are making players absolutely aware that their, um, their responsibility is to play to the whistle, not to flags. But they don't want their linesmen system referees sorry I, I can never stop calling them linesmen um they don't want um they want their linesmen to rule on everything but very marginal decisions so if a player is five yards offside what we've seen in the past is oh we'll let it go and then the, the referee the, the video assistant can can that's going um the the assistant referees have been trained to flag when there is an obvious one play stops restarts as it normally did with a, a free kick to the team that you know 
free kick against the team that called offside. Um, they don't want these long periods of, of dead play, essentially, where everyone knows it's offside. And if a goal results and if the VAR interferes, we know it's going to be ruled off. They don't want players running for an extra 30 seconds, a minute, anything like that. So um, we're going to see less of that. It's a subtle change, but it's an important one. Okay. And the final question is, is another one from Emmanuel Adebayor. Okay. What's the amount of time the ref has before he decides whether or not to use VAR? Yeah. It's not, it's not time, it's phase of the play. And this is going to anger people because there has to be a common sense interpretation. So I've got another example for you. Uh, Naby Keita scoring at Southampton last season. Mm-hmm. Um, it occurred after the move had seemingly begun with Mohamed Salah receiving a posi- uh, possession in an offside position. Now, in that instance, it would be ruled that Southampton, that the move has been going on for long enough and Southampton have had enough opportunity to clear the ball whereby that original offside would not be considered part of the original phase of play. Therefore, VAR would not go all the way back to the Salah offside and disallow the goal. It does not, again... Yeah, but I thought offside was factual. It's on or it's off. It is. So how does that apply in this situation? It doesn't. (laughs) It applies because it's not relevant to the phase of the play. That is the ruling. If it happens, the, the, there is no. That was is, my criticism of offside. Okay. When it comes to goal scoring. But this is this is your, your your irritation with the offside law, again. It's not. VAR's role, according to the Premier League, is not to re-referee endlessly back. It is not to go all the way back to the last time the ball was in play. So it disproportionately affects play that's led up immediately to a goal. I suppose you could make that because, argument. Or, or any stoppage in play. Yeah, you could probably make that argument. Yes. So then, if you were to do, if you were to cheat the game. 45 seconds before... Uh, There's no time period. It's not no time period. It's a subjective judgment. If it was a slow building phase of play... It's going to include a time period, though. It is going to include one, but you can't... It's not going to be judged by that. You're not going to say, right, we can go th- back 30 seconds and no more. It's not that. It is a subjective judgment on what is pertinent to the, to the phase of the play. Now, in that instance, it includes um, several botched clearances from, from Southampton. Uh, it includes... Um, multiple it, the, the ball actually by memory the ball actually comes out of the box several times before it finally goes back in and cater yeah. scores and we should make the point anyway that these are things that would have been missed by the referee anyway yeah so, which were missed which by the referee were anyway. that's what i mean so yeah. these are these are only instances where the referees already missed a mistake it. has been made yeah but the judgment in that instance again along the lines of this we do not want to interfere in everything we do not want to sterilize the game with you know technological intrusion at every yeah. point is that the phase of the play, the, the, the actual goal, the scoring of the goal, whether you agree with this or not, this is, this is what's, you know, the, the operating procedure. The scoring of the goal has not been affected by that original offside. Yeah. Um, the scoring of the goal in that instance is instant has been affected by Southampton's inability to clear the ball properly. Okay. Which is actually, I look, I've looked back at that phase of play uh, a couple of, like last week, and I can see both sides of that. Southampton would say, well, he's offside, and I understand that. But then the argument that the that VAR would use was would be, yeah, but it's your bad defending that's cost you the goal in the end. And that is also very fair because it it's appalling. Um that again, this is gonna have to be one of those things where a precedent, a series of precedents are set, people accept it. Um it's not gonna stop fans going back three and a half minutes and saying, Yeah, but I, I think that's a trip, so that goal shouldn't count. That's of course that's football, that's gonna happen. It's not going to change the game. It's going to make people angry at different stuff. Um, and it's going to lead to amateur football accounts doing exactly that. They're going to get hold of footage. 
They're going to go back and back and back and back until they can actually, until they can finally find something which, in their sort of one-eyed mm. opinion, affects the game, affects the phase of play. But this is this is a halfway house which is designed not to get everything right, but to to limit the interference. C- can I tell you what I think it's going to lead to though? Go for it. I think it's the only real noticeable difference that uh, you know most people who watch football casually will notice is that there will be a whole new sort of lexicon of terminologies that they'll have to use on Match of the Day now to talk about exactly the same thing they talked about last year. Probably. And it'll just be things like clear and obvious and realm yeah. of referee space and, you know, it'll just a bunch of well, new words maybe to describe not. the same old problems. Uh, so one of the um, the Premier League uh, and PGML, they will, um, well, the Premier League will communicate with their rights holders um, where there is a live game, there will be a line of communication available. Should um, wasn't specified what that would deal with, but if there was some kind of issue which needed clarification, so the BBC have got a line to the bunker. I wouldn't. No, 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 no. no, no it's not. It's not. They can't pick up a phone and talk to the VAR official. It's That's just a, a the um, VAR facility in the Premier League are will communicate with their rights holders. Whether that be the BBC, Sky, BT Sport for um, televised games. If something happens and on air, the you know commentators will be able to say, "Well, this is you know why why that's happened." Mm. But also for something like match of the day, that would obviously apply too. There's an important um, bit that we should add here. So previously, um, where a decision has been overruled, the mechanism to inform the people in the crowd has been to put a graphic on the on the on the big screen. So VAR review, possible penalty, possible red card. Um, and then um, the, the actual ruling would appear in text on, on that screen. As of next season in the Premier League, um, they will, where it's possible, show a, an image, still image. Say, let's say it's a, a really bad tackle. Um, and and um, this will only apply to overrules of on-field decisions. Mm-hmm. It won't apply to things which are being confirmed or you know instances where the VAR is not getting involved. Um, so bad tackle, they will show an image of uh, the incident which best illustrates why the decision has been made. A still image. A still image. So it might be a boot making contact with uh, the knee of a forward, for instance. Or if it's a handball in the penalty box. Why um, is it a still image? You, you're not allowed to show replays in... Yeah. You're allowed to show goals, so I think. And you can show highlights at For right reasons. Yes, uh, I think so. It's an IFAB rule. Right, okay. Um... I'm not sure why it exists, but it does. It's a weird one. God, my head hurts. Okay, so I suppose before we finish, you had your adventure at Stockley Park. You went down and they let you try it out for yourself, right? Will you tell us a little bit about your experience while you were there? Yeah, no, they let us have a go. So, um, Is us other journalists who were invited down? There were other journalists. There were some people, uh, there were some representatives from support groups too. Okay. Um, they're doing it in little batches. So we, we went it as a group of 10 and I understand that sort of they're repeating that exercise for a couple of days in the time before the season begins. So um, the VAR room, it looks a little bit like, uh, I suppose, uh, actually there's a picture of it on my Instagram if you want to want to have a look at that. Sorry, um, the, the, this is, they're doing it from a centralised position? From a centralised position. So it's position. not at the stadium? No, it's remote. It's all from Stockley Park. Um, you go in there and there is, um, obviously, I, I think the most, the most amount of games that happen simultaneously is five and that'll be a Saturday 3pm. So every desk... Uh, is its own VAR station, room for three different people. The only variation between the desks is that some of them have more computer screens 
um, more, more sort of monitors. And that's because the televised games have more cameras and present more angles. Um, so each desk uh, with its screens has room for three people. A VAR in the middle, who is the appointed referee. Uh, by the way, it, just for the sake of heading off any conspiracies, uh, when these people go into this room, it is, for all intents and purposes, sealed off. So there's no phones, there's no devices, there's no... And who are these people? Are they accredited referees who might otherwise be refereeing a game yep. in the Premier League? Yep, or are they, they are. the different... No, 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 they're, they're referees. So what you have is, in the middle, this is the VAR. Yeah. So that would be a referee that anybody would recognise from the Premier League match list. Right. They're appointed in the same way as an on-field referee. Does that mean that they have to hire more referees for the Premier League? This they season? are promoting some from so the Championship. Nearly twice as many? No, there's, they're supplementing theirs because there are only five games that happen, happen simultaneously. Right. They don't need to promote that many, but I think there's four or five that are moving into VAR duty next season. I tell you what, as a uh, as a uh, schedule to work out everyone's working week, that is a nightmare for Big someone. Big old pain. That's a huge spreadsheet. <laughs> particularly if you've got to think, okay, well, uh, Craig has to be at Stockley Park for the three pm game, but uh, for the I guess for the Sunday game, he's got to be all the way up in uh, in Sunderland. It's difficult. Yeah. So VR sits in the middle. On his left sits a an assistant VAR, an AVR. New terminology now. Okay. Now, so the dynamic uh, on on their right is an employee. Um, from Hawkeye, right? Um, who, who make the goal line technology, or did and presumably are they? Yes, they providing do providing the technology. They do GLT. They also do the uh, line adjudication in, in tennis. What is this costing? I don't know. We're not going to know that. No. Um, so the, the dynamic is um, footage is playing in front of all these people. Um, when an incident happens, um, there are there is a a, a a a green button and a red button sitting uh-huh. on the desk. Again, uh, I've got pictures of this on my Instagram. Um, <laughs> and to, if you press the green button, um, that creates a bookmark in the footage. So it's something you want to see. Um, the red button is pressed, and that gives communication with the referee on the field. And the stadium blows up. The stadium, maybe. Okay. Possibly. Yeah. Now, the procedure is, the, if the referee, if the VAR wants to check something that's happened, the um, Hawkeye uh, technician alongside him provides him with the replays and the angles and everything he needs to make that decision, while he's viewing those replays, um, the AVR becomes responsible for the live feed. So on his on his monitor, there are no replays, there are no anything. He becomes solely responsible for what's going on. So there is never a gap in the footage being watched. Right. Um, it's actually quite impressive. We, um, I, I was at a desk with friend of the show, Nick Miller, and we were shown... Um, clips from games last season where there was an incident hidden inside them sometimes a, a penalty or a handball or something like that and um it's very interesting so nick was the var oh you were the avr i was the avr it? so nick would see something he would press his button and alert his his uh his hawkeye guy um and you would have to keep watching in case he i keep it. watching the live feed in case there is another incident in it uh-huh. um a little bit false because I remembered some. I actually covered one of the games that we, 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 we were doing, so like uh, I felt like I, I was cheating. Um, How did you perform? Um, we, I felt Nick gave a very soft penalty in my opinion. Right. <laughs> in the Man United Chelsea game, uh, we, uh, we, we correctly decided that Mrs. Soko's headbutt was a red card between us. It's very interesting though. That is interesting. Though. I mean, because you've just said. That a dynamic of just two people, and you disagree with each other about whether a penalty is a penalty. Yeah, but or it, not. ultimately, 
in that situation, my opinion is less important. I'm an AVR, I'm an advisor. Nick is the one that sort of communicates to the referee. But I'm not saying whose who's opinion is more important. Yeah, I'm and ultimately the, the, the on-field not... referee's opinion is more important. But will that not reflect how fans view this? If two people in the room who are officiating over it can see something different, then fans are going to see different things. Uh, it it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, like the, in an instance, um, in, the, in the Sissoko example, uh, I'm a Spurs fan and I was just like, no, he's just being physical, he's fine. <laughs> 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 That's just him. That's how he plays. Yeah. But in reality, uh, Nick did say that is a headbutt and a red card straight away. Uh-huh. We talked about this a moment ago outside, yeah. um, but can you just briefly before we go on to move on to the next part of the podcast, can you tell me what the point of uh, VAR is? Because the way that I see it, the only reason to, to that I can understand to bring this into the game uh, would be to make it more fair. And I think football is either fair or it isn't. Yeah. And if there isn't, if we're talking about all these various different margins and clear and obvious, and in some cases a, a, an incident might be both a yellow and a red card and all the rest of it, it doesn't make it any more fair. Therefore, it is no more fair. It's either fair or it isn't. So what's the point? To eliminate obvious mistakes. There's no fair about it. It's not football isn't fair. The whole game that we play isn't fair. The idea of a, a Premier League being won by a team who have a limitless budget is not fair. That's what, if, if we if we go down too far down that path, why are we playing at all? Because you kind of know what's going to happen every single season, really. Mm. I mean, within you know pretty much that. I know now, and it's the end of July. I know we released this on the sixth of August, but we've got to turn the aircon off. I will be fine. Sorry, we've got the aircon on, guys, but hopefully you won't hear it. It, you know, fair is not part of football anymore. It's like a sort of it's willful denial on all of our parts. You know, when if you're a Bournemouth fan, you know you're not going to win the league. You know your best case finish is probably eighth. Mm. Why are you bothering? Like it, it, it's that. It's it's kind of it doesn't serve anyone to to dwell on that. VAR's purpose is not to make the game more fair. It is to eliminate the obvious mistakes within it. The actual football match, not the sport. The sort of the 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 inequalities within the sport are a different podcast. Rife. Okay, right. Well, that's good. Thanks for relaying your experience to us. As you said, I think the most important thing that you said in this episode, because it is difficult to explain, is that uh, fans, I expect, supporters will watch the Premier League this season, they will watch it the season afterwards, and then they will have a good grasp of how this works. Before then, it's very difficult to really Until then, people will like it when VAR gives them decisions that benefit their team and hate it when they don't. Yeah. You just got to... In terms of setting its examples and its precedents, that's just going to happen in time. You're not going to get an idea of it just from, you know, I spent nearly three hours at Stockley Park and there are still issues in my mind which are a little bit unclear despite, yeah. you know, a day with the Premier League and PGML. So it's hard, but it's just, uh, I believe what they've come up with is a, is, is a best possible scenario on the mm. basis that it's coming, it's going to be involved in football. And whether I like it by principle or not is really irrelevant. They've come up with a what seems to be a, a model which is less intrusive than others we've seen in the past. Okay, we'll stick around because in a moment we'll be talking to Ed Malian from The Athletic about what The Athletic is. And we're all quite excited about it. Uh, so, thanks. Uh, just before we move on to the next bit of the podcast, I wanted to tell you about uh, a cool little thing that we'll be doing over the next season. Um, I have a friend, uh, Pete, who works at a really cool app called MatchPint. Uh, some of you may have heard of it before, MatchPint. You can download it on I- iOS and on Android. 
Match Pint uh, basically tells you if you want to watch a televised game of football in a pub, but you in an area maybe where you don't know uh, good pubs to watch the football in, I should say, or uh, you don't know the area very well at all, um, you download Match Point, put in the game you want to watch, and it will tell you which pubs in your immediate area are showing it, and they'll you know there's little helpful tips and stuff. Uh, Match Point are also running a really cool thing this year along with Budweiser, and it is called the Budweiser Premier predictor um and what you do is you predict the score outcomes i think of five or six games every week if you get one right you win a free beer which you can redeem in uh, up to and over two thousand pubs in the uk and ireland and uh, tifa have a, a little league that we've set up this year uh, to see if you guys can do better than me the answer is probably not because of course you know I'm the real footballing genius at TIFO. Forget about Alex. Uh, to join our league, you download the Matchpoint app. As I said, you can do that via iOS or Android. Uh, sign up to the game and you put in the league joining code TIFO1. And that's the number one, not the word one. TIFO1. And every week uh, you can see if you can do any better than me. And maybe together we'll win some free beer. That's the Matchpoint app and the uh, league code TIFO1. Thanks for sticking around, and we're delighted to be joined now by Ed Malian from, well, I guess, newly in a way from The Athletic. Yes, yes. By the time this comes out, we will have launched, so uh, happy launch to everyone. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I can't believe it went off so smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Um, Ed, will you tell us briefly what The Athletic is, I guess, assuming that people have no idea? Um, I'd like to think it's the biggest and best football writing platform in the world now. Uh, you know, in terms of, this is a... An outlet that's going to cover every single Premier League team. We've got a reporter, at least one reporter in some cases, two, three, four, at every single Premier League team. We've got a team of around 50-ish football writers and editors. Um, so I do think that is the biggest team of, of football writers around, certainly the English language professionally. Um, and, you know, from day one, I like to think we're going to have the best coverage of, of a lot of these Premier League clubs. We've got some clubs outside in the championship, Leeds uh, with, with Phil Hay, We've got Derby, we've got Forest, got West Brom, a few more that I've no doubt forgotten. We've got Celtic and Rangers. Um, and then obviously there's going to be a load of other interesting like storytelling around that. You know, we've got Rafa Honigstein, who is the authority on the Bundesliga, but also well-connected with German football as well over the world. And um, some other people doing Spanish football, Italian, French, uh, everything. So basically, wherever there's a good story, we want to be there anyway. But um, it's going to be an app and website that I think people will find a destination pretty soon. Okay. And it's pay- it's paywalled, right? It's a subscri- subscription service. Yes. So how yeah. do you get over the barrier of making people pay for stuff when it's been free for so long? Well, I think it's just uh, something that is going to... We always knew this was going to come. Like I, uh, when I was 22, I got my first job at the Mirror. And I remember being very like young and green. And I asked my, my first boss there, I said, like, you know, what advice would you give a young sports journalist looking to make their way? And uh, he said, uh, don't get into this industry because it's dying, uh, which was uh, discouraging. but he didn't mean uh, journalism was dying. Journalism is, journalism is not dying. He meant newspapers are dying. And it's just a business model thing where uh, I believe that we've been looking for a way to make people pay for journalism for a long time. Um, and I think you, what you have to do is you have to give the people what they want fundamentally. And if you look at the, what I call the volume business model, the mass kind of appeal business model, what it comes down to a lot of the time is, so I'm a Palace fan and, and what it means is if you want to do a, an interesting story about Palace, you have to find a way that that appeals to this enormous homogenous blob of people that doesn't exist. It's just, a, you know, the general public. So 
James MacArthur could have a really interesting backstory and you have to really pitch that to get that out to a national audience. And it's very basic. And every Palace fan that reads that already knows all this sort of stuff because it's their club. Now, imagine if you just had a steady stream of stuff about your club, which is fundamentally what most football fans care about, first and foremost. I think there are people, I mean, in this room who like reading general football writing. You might like reading about the Belgrade derby or whatever, you know. That's really interesting for a lot of people. But for even more people, the club is the most important thing. Um, so if we can provide the best coverage of every single club and people will just subscribe, they pay like, what, three, is it, three pounds, four pounds a month, and they get all the kind of deep, in-depth coverage of, of their club, and we're going to have to make it good because if they're paying, it has mm. to be the best that's available, right? But there's no way that it's covering Palace in depth or Everton or Watford or Norwich or Southampton. So if we can provide the best coverage of these clubs and people come and subscribe, then we know we can double down on that and make that coverage better and stuff. And so every single club now is going to be covered in a different way. So you can cover it for those fans rather than for the general public, which means you can have interview. Like if I wanted to interview Andy Johnson for The Independent, I can do it. But like the general public does not care about Andy Johnson. If you do it aiming at this at Palace fans, it's a completely different product, right? And obviously we'll expand that out into podcasts and video stuff down the line. And there's going to be a load of different things, analysis and opinion and, and kind of oral histories and deep stuff. But we can just change the way that, that football coverage is, is kind of angled right now. And uh, it's an enormous opportunity, I think. Ed, what are the challenges? I mean, um, I've been subscribing to The Athletic for, I, I think, about six months now. Um, and I enjoy it. Um, but I, I enjoy American sports. But I also note the difference in um, not just culture, but regularity. So with your team, your team... It's a baseball team. I think it's right that about 170 games a, a, a season. So you have this kind of this more continuous flow of activity with Palace um, on, on the basis that you're in season, you have maybe two games. Is it sort of, I mean, what, what, what are the challenges there to kind of making in, in ensuring that the content is rich enough um, to sustain the interest of, of the sort of the loyal fans? So I think we have an inbuilt advantage in that everyone else is going to keep doing the same stuff, you know? Um, we, uh, I think, I, you know, there's no secret here. Like our writers are going to be doing slightly different stuff to what's readily available. Like with the BBC in the UK, like there's always going to be match reports. There's going to be manager quotes and stuff online. Um, and that's fine. Like people do want to read that, but that means we don't have to do it. Like what's the point in, if you go to a press conference and everyone publishes the same embargoed quotes, right? What is the point in eight of the best people who write about that club all having the same quotes? You know, it's always struck me is that um, anytime I'm, I'm reporting from a game and I, I look around, I see someone like um, Henry Winter, for instance, you think if he's here and I'm writing about this, why would anyone be reading what I'm writing? <laughs> you know, and, and I, I think that's a slightly extreme version of it. But if you've got sort of if you've got the information covered and you kind of given the way that access works in football and just the paucity of it in general, like if you've got all of that stuff provided anyway, why are people... It's, it's a great unanswered question. Why are people continuing to reproduce everywhere just so it can be read two or three times? It's, it's weird. Let me flip it on its head, right? Okay. So imagine if you're like a, just a normal reporter and say you cover Palace every week, yeah. right? So the day before a Palace game, you go to the press conference, you speak to Roy, you send through a little live hit for the website that goes up straight away. Get a little bit of embargoed stuff off Roy for 10.30 that night. You've got the same as everyone else. Fine. Next day, go to the game do a on the whistle match report that goes straight up do some quotes after great bit of mix zone. Benign mix zone yeah. next day <laughs> yeah, next day got some mix zone quotes they go live at midday three days work there 
what have you written that you're proud of? Exactly. And there's a world where instead you can use that time to do stuff that's actually productive. You can do stuff that's actually, that people are going to want to read. And at the moment that everyone else drops the Papa Soiree mix zone quotes that you had for midday the next day, someone has like a really in-depth feature where they've been talking to a player's family and talking to a player's former coaches. And then you've followed him through that game and you've talked to the coach about him and all this sort of stuff. And it's just what no one else is offering. And that's what we have to do. We have to be offering stuff that no one else is. And it has to be really, really good. And, and if it's not, then like the whole thing won't work. But I truly believe it will be. Interesting thing you said there is kind of the, the what did you write that you were proud of is, um, I mean, I've often thought that kind of the, the, the best things that come out of weekends are stuff that generally stuff that reflects the author's personality. Not too much because you don't want self-indulgence, yeah. I understand. Is that going to be kind of key to what you do? I mean, I, are, we, are we able to talk about the people that you've got? We can talk to you can talk about people that we've signed. Okay, we can. Yeah, we, yeah we're, okay. So we're coming out on the Tuesday. Yeah. Um. So for instance, like I want to read um uh, an Ollie K piece because of Ollie K and his set of abilities mm-hmm. and, and and what he represents in the industry. I don't want um a, a list of you know it's just reproduce information with his name on the on the um on the byline. It's not the same thing. So is the emphasis now on on taking these guys um from the industry and saying right, be yourself and be does that make sense? Yeah, well, I, th- I think we're certainly giving, I mean, Ale- we've got Alex Kajalski is, is yeah. going to be the editor, right? And he was a sports editor at the Times. And, you know, I did a lot of due diligence on, on him. And I talked to at least 10 people who'd worked under him. And they all said it was the best sports editor they ever worked for. And what you get with him is like, he's endlessly creative, but um, he's also, you know, going to keep these guys in check. And I think people are going to have more of a like a fresh energy about them than they've ever had because and we're getting people from lots of different scenarios so you're talking about so ollie k who won't join us for phil a, hay for, quite a while. for instance so phil yeah. hay phil hay comes from uh, you know a job with yorkshire evening post where like his workload was, was significant but like he was a big piece for them so he kind of maybe wasn't flogged as, as hard as some of the other writers we've hired some of the other writers we've hired who had to write 12 15 pieces a day which is an extraordinary amount of work to have to produce. And then if you're suddenly only producing, say, four pieces a week for us, the quality of those four, like, it's going to be so concentrated compared to the, the stuff you're doing before because you're spread so thin. I suppose one of the, the, one of the most interesting people that you took was, took sounds accusatory, Go sorry, on. one, of the, one of the people that is going to work with you, George Culkin, because for my money, both arguably the best writer in the country, mm-hmm. but also one of the most underutilized, purely because he was kind of, not through anyone's fault, but because he was kind of pigeonholed as this Northeast guy that, that was very specific to his clubs. But I mean, I remember uh, at the last World Cup, he, he, went, he went on the Trans-Siberian Express and wrote this wonderful like three-day piece and just thought his range of abilities, is that kind of, is one of your, your sort of, your, your objectives to give a platform for someone like that to, to make him, not mainstream because everyone knows who he is, but to make his abilities a bit more mainstream and to show him for just how good he is. Well, one of the best things when we hired Alex was, we could then tell him that we'd already hired George. Brilliant. Okay. So like his new boss knows him very well. Yeah. Um, and, and George, I mean, I've, I've admired George's work oh, from afar like you for, yeah, for years brilliant. and years and years. Absolutely brilliant. And he is superb. And I think the thing is, what you don't realize is there are a lot of guys probably who have the same or similar skill set to George, like good contacts, great writing, very thoughtful, very considerate people, but they just don't get the opportunities to, to show that. And, like what I'd rather hope is, is I mean, look, George is going to do amazing work. I've got 0% doubt about that. It's more the other guys who you might not think have got that in them. And then over the next six months to a year, you're going to see it. You're going to see that these guys have so much more than they're capable of, but you're going to 
Spurs Watford on a Tuesday night and then <laughs> something else on the Thursday for the Europa League and you just don't have time. Like, it's just how it is. You, uh, do you have anyone in mind? I don't, I don't want you to put pressure on anybody, but just, or, or you can talk in generalities if I, you like. I'll do my Brendan. I'll put three names in an envelope and you can have them. For the ne- <laughs> at the end of the season, we'll open it up. I'll come back on the podcast and we can talk about who made it. This time next year. Do you have any more questions? Um, no, I, I mean, you know what? From my point of view, it's just interesting because um, I'm not going to pretend that I haven't indulged in some of the gossip because that's really all that any football in the country has been speaking about for six weeks. So we should I mean, put this into context for people who are listening who uh, aren't involved in these circles at mm-hmm. all. Everyone like you uh, has been talking about this for ages. You know, because like, it's a gossipy old hag like myself. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Because you, you sort of, not because of um, any agenda, just because nothing like this has ever really happened before. Mm. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by what gets produced, but I'm also interested by what it creates. Some background, some background to that as well. One of the things we had to do was, because of the time... Uh, kind of time scale heading towards when we're going to launch this. Uh, we needed to make those approaches in that week, uh, whatever it was, May 25th or whatever. That must have been crazy. So we had to talk to a lot of people who we'd pinpointed, had drawn their names up on a whiteboard in San Francisco a few weeks before. And then after that, the guys were together for the, was it Europa League final in Baku, then the Champions League final in Madrid, and then England Nations were away League. in Portugal. Yeah. So there was essentially... All of the top journalists in the country, really, or a lot of the top journalists in the country, were away, were away together for three weeks almost in the immediate aftermath of us approaching a ton of them. So, like, it obviously became a self-perpetuating gossipy thing. Like, we just, you know, had to ignore it and do what we were going to do. But, like, it, un, uh, just unfortunately this year, the way it worked out meant that it was inescapable that the level of gossip would go through the roof. So, I remember, like, behind the curtain, I remember being, um, I went to a, a premiere of a, a documentary, I think probably just before or just after the Europa League final. And um, I was on the bus back from it to a, to a station with one of the guys that's has moved on to, to join you guys. And he was gossiping on his phone to um, another very well-known sports writer with a very distinctive voice. And it was just, it was surreal. It was kind of, it was almost inescapable. It, it really was. It was, it was, it was very interesting. But it is, I, I think it kind of, I, I think it's necessary. Like I, I think kind of what Ed said about giving people the opportunity to do things because you, people do get beaten down by the schedule of it's a, it's a long season. You're not allowed to complain to it, uh, uh, complain about it because, you know, it's football writing and it's reporting and, and you must have luck, all that stuff. But it's, it's, um, I, I'm fascinated by what some of these people will do when they're, they're freed up a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I, like, we've been trying to kind of throw really ambitious ideas at them so they can see the scope and the scale to what we're going to do. Um, editorially, we have to be ambitious. We have yeah. to try and do things that people haven't done. Like, and it, uh, it's going to be fun like because when we pull these ideas off it's going to be so satisfying and I think all of the guys um, and girls obviously that we've hired so far I think they appreciate that this is a good opportunity for them because the the uplift in the quality of their work that's what your next employer looks at you know like even like 10 years down the line you're going to have an incredible body of work to show for it and actually the reality is that in some places where you're working you can't do your best work. And, and that's what people judge you on in this industry. Like I had to approach with a lot of these people basically only knowing their work that I read every single day. And I have read every single day for the last five years. But imagine if you weren't able to put your best stuff out there. It was like, I'll let you print your CV off, but you can only print off half of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not fair. So I, I just think uh, everyone that we've brought on board is kind of energized by the possibility to do way more ambitious stuff. You know, like, Someone was talking about maybe going to see Iniesta in Japan. I was like, what? 
if you can get the interview, go ahead and do it, you know, and that's a sort of level of ambition because you can imagine what that piece looks like where you're, you maybe you're taking Yester out somewhere in uh, Kobe as it is in, and maybe you go and do a piece about the earthquake, a huge earthquake in Kobe within Yester. Like there is scope to do so much more. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, maybe it's the, the cycle of games week in, week out and finances and all the other stuff, people aren't doing it. Hmm. That's a contrast as well, because obviously if you, to use that Yester example, the first question, if you pitch that would be right, how much is it actually going to cost though? You know, versus how well is it going to do? So that must be, for, for those guys, you're right. Energizing is probably the right word. But again, if, if you do that piece and you do it really well, and this is what it comes down to, the business model, right? If you do that piece and it, you do it really well, it'll make the company tens of thousands in subscribers. Mm. So it's well worth it. Like yeah. it's well worth the trip. And, and, you know, some of the, what, I was a subscriber like you before I joined. And um, there's a piece that they did um, with Mike Piazza, who was a, Baseball Hall of Famer. Owns a little team in Italy now, yeah, doesn't he? Went, yeah, he took yeah. over a 99-year-old yeah. team in uh, Reggiana, they're called Reggiana. It's a great story. He took that. over yeah. Reggiana, they're 99 years old, um, and they're bankrupt by their 100th birthday. And like that story cost a load. It was, it was like people flying to Italy to make it happen and stuff. Yeah. But that's generated like how many subscriptions? Can you remember? Hundreds. Hundreds and hundreds of subscriptions, right? Because people are like, wow, the quality of this is... And that's paid for exactly immediately then, basically, in yeah. terms of the, the, the for sure, stuff. For sure, yeah. and, and that's how we have to look at it now, right? Is it's like, if people are willing to pay for the really good content, then we're going to be providing it. And that's full on, like, and I see this with the club stuff. And like, I think we're going to really win on, on a lot of these clubs because, like Palace, for example, like I just, I, when I was 14, all I wanted was stuff about Palace to the extent you're on like the club forums reading guys who went to a game in 1979 tell you yeah, about how great yeah, it was. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't even care. But this guy who's just wildly exaggerating about a game he can't even remember. It's like, I just needed it. I just needed it. And now we're going to have like, you know, for every club that we cover, there's going to be that historic stuff. There's going to be the stuff very much in the present, you know, look into the future, look at the academy kids, like send our reporter down to the under 18, send them down to the under 23s, see who catches your eye and all that sort of stuff, because that's what fans want to know. Mm. Can, I, can I ask you about um, your situation personally? I mean, obviously, um, your time in the independent was very successful. You built, um, I mean, I, I think a, a great football department there with, with Johnny, Miguel and Jack. Um, what was it that sort of made you leave that? Because that must be, a, that presumably wasn't an easy situation to leave behind. It was, look, the independent was, was awesome. They, uh, they gave me an opportunity to basically build that thing from yeah. scratch. Um, I guess I'm doing the same here, building it from scratch. It's just a, a different model and a bigger Scale budget. It, I guess, yeah. But um, at the indie, it was all about, look, we, we're going to have to do something different because we haven't got the firepower to take on Guardian, the Mail, and, and other people in terms of, of how many reporters we're going to have. But what we can do is have an identity. We can do stuff differently. Um, and it really works, you know, like not, it wasn't just even football, like around some of the other sports, Johnny did some phenomenal stuff. Yeah, he's magic. As he's, you know, uh, yeah, and like, yeah. I think that what we saw was people will come towards the quality. People will come towards, you know, a different identity if, if you can establish that. But for me, like, so my, uh, my other half's American and she has wanted to go back for a few years. She's been in Europe for a long time now and has, has stated an interest in going back. And I've you know, thought about it before. And I talked to, I first talked to the athletic like two years ago, a year or two ago, Akil, who's, who isn't here at the moment, but I talked to him and I was interested. And then when I, they rang me in what, April, May, whenever, and I was like, okay, well, let's have a conversation about it. We had the conversation. And then after I'd had that, I was so excited by the possibilities because, you know, they, they told me to go more ambitious than I ever thought. You know, I wrote all these names up on a whiteboard and said, I'd do this. 
And they're like, go and get them. All him. names in terms of star from potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And they just said, go get them. And do you, do you ever think you're dreaming? Uh, no, I mean, like, uh, if I was dreaming, I'd be on a beach somewhere. Um, it, it would involve far more relaxation and, and far less kind of jetting around London on the tube. Mm. But, I mean, it's been like, I couldn't have drawn a more perfect job for myself. You know, it's like, you get to build the thing from scratch. Oh, yeah, you can go back and live in America, keep the missus happy. Like, and then you get to, oh, yeah, build like the greatest team of football writers that's ever been built. Like, that for me is is dream scenario. But I just... I think it's one of those things where like until, I mean, sorry, we're now in the future, aren't we? So we have launched. I'm so glad the launch went really well. But until it, <laughs> until it launches, you can't feel the happiness of sure. like, man, because if the app breaks down on the first day, then sure. like, I'm not going to be happy about anything. Mm. I, I suppose um, the one question I'd ask is, is was, it, was the sort of the procurement um, uh, period a little bit difficult? Because obviously some of the guys um, that are moving with you uh, are leaving behind like really prestigious jobs, the kind of jobs that people who enter the industry dream of occupying oh, yeah. um, you know, at the apex of their career. Is it a difficult sell to, um, I'm not saying that, it, you know, what you're, what you're proposing is, is tenuous in any way, but you're saying to someone, right, um, for instance, uh, you're the you know, chief writer at the Mail or the Times or, or whatever, um, and come and join this thing which is still conceptual. Mm-hmm. Um, was, that, was that difficult? I mean, uh, well, as you can imagine, it came up in a lot of discussions. You know, sure. We've had yeah. the chief football writer of the Guardian, the chief football correspondent of the Times, chief, a sports editor of the Times. Like, it came up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was. I think people realise the the potential behind it. That you know, they they do see that like for whatever. And there are people who just wanted to change. Yeah. There were people who you know we've. I think George, you mentioned, had been at the Times for twenty one years. Is it that long? Okay. So he'd been there for twenty one years, and that's a hell of a time. Um, and he wouldn't leave that unless it was something that he believed in and was truly solid. I think it helps that we've done a few things. We've, we've flattened the hierarchy. You know, like you talk about the apex of career and being a chief and being a chief and stuff. And we talked to other people who couldn't get over the fact that there was no hierarchy because all they've ever aspired to is being the number one. And kind of because of our business model, your chief football writer is essentially whoever is covering your club. You know, like, so if you're a Leeds United fan, Phil Hayes, your chief football writer doesn't matter about titles and stuff like that like that's been quite a liberating thing i think for a lot of people because the real success we had is in that middle class of football writers who have been held back by the fact that the guys in the number one spots have just sat there for 10 years or 15 years so there's been this kind of compressing of the middle class and we we've hired a lot of people from that who are all good enough to be chief football writers at newspapers but there aren't enough jobs going around so that i think that was a good sell for them and also we've given everyone equity in the company which is something that you would never dream of getting at any other company and it gives you it means you're literally invested in in the success of this and uh, i like to think it you know they believe in the company even if they didn't have the equity but they have the equity as well now so they have something to to earn from it yeah Yeah. uh it sounds like a a new dawn i hope so yeah where can people go and find i believe we have a uh, an offer code you do uh the athletic.co.uk slash tifo um in the first year that's 50 percent off if you subscribe for the whole year yeah whole so going to come out at like 30 quid for a whole year per month my maths tells me that's like two pound 50 ish so that's the Brexit price pending we'll yeah see. i mean you know. <laughs> yeah 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 no that could Seems be like get worse every day it might yeah. be 20 quid soon i mean I don't know. 12, 12 million 12 pounds 
Um, but yeah, so Full that's uh, theathletic.co.uk slash TIFO, 50% off for the first year, um, £2.50 a month. So Brilliant. enjoy. Well, listen, we would thoroughly encourage that people go and sign up. As Seb said, here's a subscriber. Uh, but Ed, thank you so much for coming in. Guys in the background who you can't really see on the camera, thanks for accompanying him. And uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll hear more from you throughout the season as well. Absolutely. Good luck. Okay, so that's the end of uh, today's episode. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thank you to Ed Melian and the guys from The Athletic for coming in. I can't stress enough how uh, excited we are about um, working with them for the whole season. Really looking forward to speaking to some more of the writers who are going to come in and talk to us at various podcast episodes throughout the rest of the season. So do listen out for that. Um, And one final thing I wanted to say before the end of today's podcast... Last week, um, I asked some of our listeners to donate to my mother's walking marathon, which she was doing in support of uh, the Glancluids Voluntary um, Audiology Service, uh, where they go out to people's homes and assist people who are often elderly, often isolated um, with their uh, hard of hearing requirements. Um, And so people did and I just wanted to say thank you so much I really appreciate that um it's very very kind it's very touching uh my mother was pretty overwhelmed as well um and uh, she was desperate for me to to say thank you as as soon as possible um but yeah she was she was very moved and pretty overwhelmed with the whole thing in fact she couldn't even talk to me on the phone uh the day after the podcast went out because so many of you were um were so were so very kind with your donations um, a handful of you gave very large donations, which was, you know, hugely appreciated. Um, but my mother was very keen for me to acknowledge the people who were giving a little bits as well. Um, and I'm sure that's, you know, what what people can afford to. It it all helps. It really does. Um, so thank you so much to everyone who, who who did that. We really really appreciate it on behalf of me and uh, on behalf of my mother, um, which is lovely. So uh, we will be back next week and um, thank you so much for listening. See you then.